Okay, we're starting here on the top of Mem Betam and Aleph. The Gemara begins on the top line. Rav Huna Achal, Tlesa Riftei, B'nei Tlata, Tlata B'Kabel. Rav Huna ate 13 rolls that were made out of three kav each. Filo Barich. And he did not make a bracha achrona birkat hamazon afterwards. Amalei Rav Nachman, Adei Kafno? Are you so hungry? Are you demonstrating some sort of famished behavior over here? Ela Koshe Acharim Kovim Alav Suda, Tzarich Levarich. Anything that other people make a suuda on, you must make a bracha on. So Rashi explains in Machloket in the Geonim what the question that was posed by Rav Nachman was. According to Rav Haigon, he says that whatever other people would normally eat in a meal, that is considered to be kviyot suuda. There's an objective standard of what suuda is, and that's not determined by whether you're hungry or not hungry. If you consume the amount that people normally would eat in a suuda, that classifies as being a suuda for you. On the other hand, he quotes from the Bahag, Rabbi Hudai Gaon, who says that the question of Rodachman relates to, are you not satisfied from the Pasuk, Ve'achauta Ve'savato Ve'rachta? If you don't have Sviyah, then you don't have to make a Bracha Birkat Hamazon. Rashi rejects this interpretation and supports the first interpretation, which is that there is an objective standard for how much one can eat in a meal in order to be Chayav in Birkat Hamazon. Again, over here, when we're talking about these riftei, we're talking about something that is defined as pat hababikisnin. The Gemara has used this term a couple of times, habat hababikisnin, and each time we've had a different definition of what pat hababikisnin is. And if you look in the Shulchan Aruch, there are actually three different definitions as to what pat hababikisnin is, and we are machmir for all three of these types of pat hababikisnin. Over here, Rashi says these lachmaniyot are called ublish, belaz, which is some sort of thicker dough. On the other hand, Tosafot says that ublish is full-fledged bread, and the Shulchan Aruch agrees. And he says what we're speaking about here is nilish, which is a thinner, cracker-like substance, whether it's a cracker or a pretzel. It's a thinner dough that hardens, and that's what we're speaking about over here, not something that is soft like a regular piece of bread. Now, in this instance of patababa kisnin, the Gemara here lays out a principle, which now will apply to all these things that we find as patababa kisnin, which is that if people would normally eat that volume in a suda to make a meal over it, then the bracha switches from Boremi Nei Mizanot to Amotzi, and the bracha chrona switches from Alamechia to Birkat HaMazon. Rabbi Yehuda Hava Asikle Lebrei, he was dealing with issues for his son's wedding, bringing a shidduch, Be Rabbi Yehuda Bar Chaviva, the house of Rabbi Yehuda Bar Chaviva, where obviously the daughter of Rabbi Yehuda Bar Chaviva was, and they were trying to make a shidduch, to the Kamayu Pat Kisnin. He brought out this patabab kisnin. Kiata, when he came, shaminu the kamavarche amotzi. He heard the mekabrach of amotzi over this patabab kisnin. Amalu, my tzitze, the kashamana. What's that noise, amotzi, that I'm hearing out there? Dema amotzi lech ben arts, kamavarchitu. Maybe you make a brach of amotzi on it? Amalayin. Yes, that's exactly what we're doing. The Tanya, we have a brighta, Rabbi Mona Amar, Mishom Rabbi Yehuda, pat habab kisnin, mevarechina lav amotzi. Because we have a misora that Rabbi Mona says in the brighta. In the name of Rabbi Huda, that a pat of kisnin, you make hamotzi on it. Va'amar Shmuel, and Shmuel says halacha okay, Rabbi Mona. And Shmuel says halacha is Rabbi Mona. Then we're going to pass in that way. Samalhu ain't halacha Rabbi Mona itmar. First of all, when Shmuel said it, he said that that halacha is like Rabbi Mona, but not like Rabbi Mona. Amrilei va'hamar Huda amar mishmei Shmuel. Wait a minute. Rabbi Huda was a Talmud of Rav, and then later on a Talmud of Shmuel. And this statement from Shmuel we heard in your name. These lachmaniyot, which are a pata babi kisnin, 
you can make an Eruv with them, because you need Shtesudot in order to make an Eruv. Umevarchin aleyem amotzi, you can make a brach, you make a brach of amotzi on them. He says, Rabbi Huda shani hatam de kava sudete alayu. That's different over there because they made it into a meal. Like in this case where we're bringing them out to you just as a dessert, since that's not made into a full-fledged meal, lo, there is no bracha of amotzi, nor is there a bracha of birkat hamazon on this pata ba bikisnin. Now the Murrah here ends that sukya pata ba bikisnin in the halacha. The Shulchan Archa, as I said before, brings down three different types of items that are classified as pata ba bikisnin. It says, yesh mifarshim. The Padaba Kanisin is Pata Suik Min Kisim. It's a pocket. Shemamalin Otel Dvash Osukar Vegozinu Shkedim Vitavlin. That is filled with honey, sugar, nuts, almonds, walnuts, Behemni Kriyam Rishkulush, or real Khashu. And that was what Rashi and Tosafot mentioned in yesterday. Daaf was called Bata Bakbikisnin. Then the other possibility is Veshomim Shi Isa, Shir Badvash Shemin of Khalab, Umine Tavlin Bafa. Others say, and Rashi mentioned this as well, he actually mentioned them together, that it's a dough but that is flavored. It has some sort of spicing or honey or milk in it. It's not made from just water and flour, but there's other mixed, other items mixed into the dough that give it flavor. The Rama over here defines, and we say the Paschal Aloha, that that's only, that's called Padgamur, even has spices or other items in it. The only time it's called a Patababikisnin is where it has so much in the way of spices or honey that it's, you can sense it, and that it's the ikar, it becomes the major part of the reason that you're eating it. And what he mentions over here is something in Yonah de Omer, he calls it lekach, lekach, which the minhag amongst many is to have on Rosh Hashanah or before Rosh Hashanah. So he says that, that where the devash and the tavlin are the ikar, that is called patababikisnin. And then, talking about bread here, whether it's spiced or not spiced, Make it thick and it's dry. And you, when you have to eat them, you have to munch on them or crunch on them. Something like a biscuit. And Shochanah concludes, The Lach is like all of these opinions, that all of these are called So all of these things, they have all the dinim of which we said before is, if you are a suda on it, if you have the amount that is considered to be a suda, then you have to make a birkata motzi beforehand and a birkata mazon afterwards. What is called the suda over here is a machloket. It's a question of whether it has to be the three beitzim or the four beitzim, which is mentioned here in the Gemara as being the size of a suda, or does it have to be the size of shtei sudot or sudata shabbat that is mentioned in the Gemara? The other thing that is a machloket amongst the poskim is whether when you eat this bread or these patabab kistin along with something else, for instance, you have it with meat or fish, how much of this patabab kistin do you have to have? Do you have to have enough of the patabab kistin by itself that would be classified as a suda? Or is it sufficient that you have the normal amount that is eaten with the basar together? And so the Magen Avram, and that's the way the Mishnah Bura Paskins, that it's enough if you have a patabab kistin, then most people would have in a meal that is accompanied by other items. And Ramosha and the Igus Moshe mentions this almost to an extreme, which is that in America, where people rarely eat bread in the meals and eat very little bread with their meals and have all other options and items in the meal, then the threshold for what would be considered a suda is actually lowered significantly. And therefore, one would have to make a motzi on a patapikisnin if this is the amount that people normally ate in a meal of bread in that situation. 
In addition, Rabbi Moshe mentions that if someone started out thinking that they were going to eat enough of a pot of bukisnin that they made to make a motzi, and they intended to make bench afterward, but they ate less, then the birkat motzi is okay, and the person can say an alamicha afterwards, he does not have to bench, and that is not an issue. The questions come up with things or items such as pizza. That's always the controversy with pot of over here, first of all, whether it qualifies, it seems from some of the definitions of the Shulchan Aruch that that would qualify as a patababikisnin. And the question of kavas du taihu. The other thing that comes up is with mizonot rolls. Now with mizonot rolls, the answer there is much easier because mizonot rolls, first of all, are made in a way that they are coming to replace regular rolls. And if that's the case, most people then are koveasu dato alayhu. And therefore they require birkat hamotzi even if one is not eating them in that context, because that's their intent. The other thing is, the mezonot rolls may not qualify not to be considered lechem and to be considered patabab kisnin. And that has to do with what we just saw before in the Ramah, how much of the other item or flavor do we need in there in order for it not to be considered bread. The mezonot rolls are made with meperot together with the flour. Do you have to taste the flavor of the meperot in there? And meperot by themselves, is that enough to be considered not lechem? Because if you look through the Achronim, many of these issues are in Machloket, or left in a Machloket, it would seem from the Rov HaDayot that Mizonot rolls require one to make hamotzi on them, whether they are eating them in the middle of Suda, if they're just eating them plain. As far as pizza is concerned, there are different drachim to take over here. What was, and what people like to quote as the prevalent derech, is that one has to eat enough that is classified as a Suda over pizza, because it is a pata babikisnin, and therefore one would have to consume enough that people would eat a normal meal. But if people are simply eating it as a snack, then it would be classified as bure mine binzonot. There are many poskim that believe that with regards to pizza, that the pizza itself is a davar shekovin alav se'uda. It has a shame as an item that people normally eat in a meal. And if that's the case, no matter when you consume it or how you consume it, its bracha will be hamotzi because it's no longer really classified as a pata babikisnin, but rather as lechem gamur, because this is something that people normally eat in meals, and the quantity is not so large that they have to eat them. They would eat one slice, and that would be a meal. They would eat even small amounts of the pizza, and it would be classified as a meal. Therefore, according to this post scheme, the one would make a motzi, no matter how much pizza they ate, maybe for the bracha chrono you'd have to have a kzaibi de'achilat pras, or enough to be considered kvat suda atayu alayu, but they believe that pizza in of itself is either not patababikisnin because the dough is solid, it's not a filled dough. And on top of that, they believe that it's always, people are always kovesu datayolayu. Therefore, that's where the questions regarding pizza come up and they machloket in the poskim. And one should ask their mokurav what the halacha is, although it seems from the askamat of most of the achronim today that the bracha on pizza probably should be hamotzi in most instances. Now the Kumar continues about a different issue is, when does the su'uda end? When does one's meal stop? How do you know that you've come to the end of the meal? And therefore, since you're at the end of the meal, if you wanted to eat something more now, you would have to make a new bracha rishona in order to eat it. The Kumar brings a case. Papa ikla the Rav Huna, Rav Natan. Papa went to the house of Rav Huna, Rav Natan, buttered the gamasud tayu, they finished their meal. They brought in front of them more things to eat. Shachar Papa v'kachil, Papa took it, ate it, and didn't make a bracha. That once you finished your meal, you can't eat anything more. The way I learned it is that you have to once only once the table is removed. 
When the table is removed, that's considered to be the end of the meal. Just because we reached the point of the end of the meal, that's not the end of the meal. Must, one has to have the tables removed. Tosafot asks on our minhag. Our minhag is to keep the table in front of us, plus to leave the lechem, the bread, on the table in front of us as a part of the meal in order to bench while the lechem is still there. How come over in their time they were removing the table? Tosafot differentiates between the orchem, the guests, and the balabait. He suggests over here that the tables were removed from in front of the guests, but the table was left in front of the balabait, the one who was going to be mavarech, and the lechem was left there. And our tables today, since we all eat around a single table, are the equivalent of the balabait's table, and that's why we leave the bread on the table after the meal in order to bench with that bread on the table. Rava virabi zera iklu galuta. They went to the house of the exilar. After they removed the tables from in front of them, they got from the Reish Galuta, Ristana, which is some dessert, which Rashi calls a mistro sinion, or some sort of fruit dish. Rava Achil, Rava ate it without making a bracha. Rabbi Zeir, Lo Achil, and Rabbi Zeir did not eat it. Amalei, Lo Sarva, Lo Amar, Salek, Asur, Don't you hold of the principle that we just saw from Rav Papa, which is that once the table is removed, one may not eat without a bracha. Amalei, Anan, Ataka, the Reish Galuta, Samchinan. We rely on the table of the exilarch. He says that, I don't know when the meal is going to end. I don't know what they're going to send. In my mind, I only consider the end of the meal when the exilarch says it's the end of the meal. I'm not in charge here. I don't know exactly what's going to happen, so I assume the meal is going to continue until we hear otherwise. Therefore, since I'm relying on the exilarch, I consider myself to be still within the meal even after they took away the table from in front of us. So Safod points out, with regards to Pesach night, Someone who forgot to eat the afikomen, he says, let us bench. He does not have to worry about the fact that he already said, let us go bench. He cannot consume the afikomen then. Because we rely on the table of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the table of the Halacha. And therefore, since he did not eat the afikomen, the afikomen is part of the meal, part of the Seder night. And his betela dato, he is subverted to that need to eat the afikomen. And therefore, he can eat the afikomen even though he has said that he wanted to start benching. On the other hand, if one is already benched, then a person does not have to go back and eat the afikomen, he says, because that all the matzot that we make are done the shame mitzvah. And therefore, all the matzot that he ate during the meal qualify also towards the afikomen. And in addition to that, he qualifies here in its informant statement. And when we say, let's bench, that does not end the meal for anyone unless it's the balabai. The one who's in charge of the meal is the one who says, let's bench. That is the termination of the meal. So if a child at a meal says to their parents, let's bench, I want a bench, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's the end of the meal. And the same with the guest who says the same thing, because the balabai is in charge, and he will determine when the desserts are brought out, when the meal is ended. And then only then, if the balabai, or really the wife of the household, says that the meal is over, will that be considered to be the end of the meal? And so anybody who is ancillary or not the ultimate decider in these matters, even if they say we want to finish the meal or we want a bench, it's not the end of the meal until the person who is in charge is, does say that it's the end of the meal. In addition, Tosafot says, I don't understand why Rabbi Zeir over here just didn't make a bracha rishona and eat. And we said, even if you've ended the meal or one has said, let's bench, all you have to do is make another bracha rishona and then you can continue eating, and then make one beer karamazon over both of them. Tosafot says that maybe over here what they brought them required a brach of a motzi, and it was too much tircha to get up and to wash his yadayim again, and to say hamotzi, and therefore he opted not to eat. But in cases where one has finished the meal, supposedly has said, let's bench, and then they make a different decision afterwards, 
In that instance, all you have to do is make a bracha rishon on whatever is brought out, and then a birkat hamazon will include both of the items that were eaten before as well as the item that was eaten afterwards. Now the Gemara says, Amar of Ragil b'shemen, person who normally puts oil on his hands and after the meal, shemen makvok, then the meal is not over until they bring out the oil and he puts it on his hands. When we were at the house of Rav Kahana, Malan, Kagon, Ano, the Regilim, Mishka, like us, who normally put on oil on our hands, then Mishka Makvalan, the meal's not over until we put the oil on. The Aloha is not like any of these men wrote until now about the end of the meal. Rather like this statement of Rav Kiyabashi Amarav, Shloshit Kipotain. There are three things that must be immediately juxtaposed. Take if the Smicha Shkita, after a person does Smicha, on the animal that they are bringing as a korban, right away one must do shechita afterwards. Take if the geula tefillah. One must immediately after saying the bracha of Gal Yisrael begin the shmon esrei. That's smichad geula tefillah. And take if the tilatidaim bracha. After one washes their hands, they must immediately make the bracha. There are some who claim, and it seems so from the midrash halacha, that the tilatidaim we're speaking over here is tilatidaim rishona before the meal. On the other hand, obviously, in the context of our Gemara, and the Rishonim over here that explain it this way, like Rashi, that says that we're speaking about Mayim Achronim. And we're talking about the Mayim at the end of the meal. And that Mayim at the end of the meal must be juxtaposed or close to the Bracha of Birkat HaMazon. And that is the proof here that once one has washed Mayim Achronim, the meal has terminated. And that is the decisive point at which the meal ends once one has washed Netilat Yadayim or Mayim Achronim. Now, just to understand in this context, the way the Gemara explains it is if you watch that Maimachronim, all it does is it severs your connection to the Bracha Rishon on the meal, and then one should bench immediately after. If one then makes a decision to change their mind and eat something else, they would have to make a Bracha Rishon on that item and then bench afterwards. Whereas the, what's brought down the Halacha by many of the Achronim is that once one has watched an Maimachronim, that a person should immediately try to bench, not speak, and should go directly into benching. That is not so clear here from the Gemara that that is the case, as well as from many of the Rishonim. Over here, it's just an indication of the termination of the meal, but it's not a demand that once one washes, they must bench right away. It's a good idea to bench right away because there's nothing else you should do at that point in time. The Natility time serves as a precursor to the benching, but not that it means that you may not talk or do anything else afterwards. Tosafot points out that if one says, one says, let us go and bench, that that has the same status as washing yadayim for ma'im based on our Gemara over here. Even though the Gemara says that the Allah is not like anything we said before, he equates the washing of ma'im to the statement of Hablan bin We have another takef, we have a third thing that has to be immediately juxtaposed, is takef bracha. That in the midst or the presence of tamir chachem, the people who take care of them or host them will get a bracha, shnemar. And it's by Yaakov, when he is by Lavan, it says that Lavan realizes that he is blessed because Yaakov is present. That the house of the Mitzri was blessed because of the presence of Yosef in that instance. Okay, next Mishnah is, This makes a bracha on the wine that is for the meal. That takes care of the wine that is after the meal. Now Rashi lays out for us the way their meals look. Was what they used to sit down and they used to drink a cup of wine before they began the meal. And then after that they used to bring them parparot, which are appetizers. Rashi calls them ordwards, which are the achilat pargiot vidagim. 
hitting of small poultry, soft poultry, or dagim fish. And then, only then, do they bring out the meal. And then after they finish the meal, the same thing happens. At the end, they have parparot, which are some sorts of desserts. Rashi calls them kisne and lachmaniyot, which are these patababikisnin that we saw earlier in the Gemara. That's what is being described here in the Mishnah. So a person who makes a bracha on the wine that's before the mazon also covers the wine that is after the mazon, and that is after they finished the meal, they also drank another cup of wine, according to Rashi, prior to Birkat HaMazon. If someone makes a bracha on the appetizers before the meal, that takes care of the dainties or the desserts that are sweets that are going to come at the end of the meal. On the other hand, if one makes a bracha on the pot, on the bread itself, then he takes care of the appetizers that are brought in the meal. If he makes a bracha on those appetizers, it does not take care of the bread in the meal. Now Rashi explained that the parparet or appetizers that we're speaking here are pargiot and dagim, which are bracha of shehakol. And therefore, Tosavot says he doesn't understand how Rashi could explain the parparot that way, because what havamin would there be that making a bracha on the parparet would actually be motzi or take care of the bracha on the bread. And therefore, Tosavot likes better the explanation of the rach. Parparet is over here, patsnuma bikara, that we saw earlier in the Gemara. It's like a dried out bread that is brought inside of a liquid. The leiba torita de hema, that doesn't have the appearance of bread. So it once was bread, but it hardened and now has been soaked in a liquid, so it no longer looks or has a semblance of bread. Now that you make a mizanot, and that's why the Gemara has a habamina here, that maybe the parparet should help with regards to the pot, as opposed to what Rashi is calling shahakol, where it's not so understandable how that would be motzi the pot. Now it's not clear what Bechama is referencing in here where he says that cooked dishes. Rashi claims that this is from what we saw earlier back on Lamed Zayim. These are Chilka, Tragis, Tisne, these wheat dishes that require Bori Minem Zanot. says that the bracha does not count for them. It's not clear whether Bechama is referencing the first statement in the Mishnah or the second statement of the Mishnah, and that the Gemara will discuss. They're simply sitting together, and everyone has to make their own bracha. That is even if they are eating from the same bread. Hesibu, if they are laying down on their sides and eating together, because that's considered to be a keviot suda. That means that they are together, and once they're together in a suda, one can make a bracha for the others. And this is talking about both bracha rishona as well as bracha achrona. Now, with regards to this, heseba, Tosafot makes a statement over here, which we'll clarify on tomorrow's daf and has important implications to the He says that we no longer have a seba, we only have a seba for bread. And even with bread, our Haseba doesn't count so much. And that, When we eat together, sitting down, that is the equivalent of Haseba. And so Tosbo translates the Haseba of the Gemara into Yeshiva of their day. And therefore, what the Mishnah says, Yeshiva does not count to bring people together, that would no longer be true. And that Yeshiva today will be served as the Kviyut for bringing together people together to eat together around a table. And therefore, if one person makes a bracha, the others can be Yotze with that. And that has important implications, and we'll see later on for things like Kiddush and Habdullah, which Tosvot will mention on Mem Gimel Amad Aleph. If they get wine in the middle of the meal, and every person has to make his own bracha, after the meal, then one person makes a bracha for everyone. And then, after benching, they also used to bring these spices or incense, perfumes that they put on the coals, to make a nice smell after the meal was done. 
even though that's after benching, it's after the meal is completely done. Nevertheless, the person who got the privilege of making the bracha on the yayin at the end of the meal also gets the privilege of making the bracha on the mugmar. Despite the fact that it's after the meal, still the one who made that last bracha on the yayin gets the privilege of making the bracha on the mugmar. And now the Gemara continues, This is true that when one makes a bracha of the wine at the beginning of the meal, then that wine covers the wine that is brought during the meal. That's only true on Shabbat and Yom Tov. Because in those instances, a person expects to drink wine during the meal. Because it's Shabbat and Yom Tov, and they drink wine not only before the meal, but during the meal. But on a regular day, during a regular weekday where people are not usually drinking so much wine, and they do not have wine during the meal, it's considered to be like Nimlach. And even when you had wine beforehand, they didn't have in mind that there would be wine during the meal, and therefore each time the bottle of wine or something is brought out, they would have to make a separate bracha, because that was not contemplated in the first bracha that was made before the meal. Itmar Nami, we have another statement that supports this. He adds in two other instances when a person leaves the bathhouse, or a time after a person has had his blood let. In those two instances, the Gemara discusses that it's efficacious to drink wine, and there, since people would expect to have wine in such a meal, therefore the wine that is before the meal that you make a bracha on will take care of the wine during the meal because you would have had in mind that there would be wine during the meal. The remainder of the year, you have to make a separate bracha on each cup of wine. He went over to the house of rubber during the week. Some make a bracha on the yayin before the meal, and then he made another bracha during the meal. That what you're doing is correct. You are subscribing to the proper halacha and making a separate brachot because no one has in mind to have wine during the meal on a weekday. So therefore you made a bracha beforehand, and when we brought out wine later on, you should make a separate bracha. And that's exactly what Rabbi Yishuv Levi had said before. Rabbi Yitzhak bar Yosef yikla de be'abaye b'yom tov. Now this is on Yom Tov. Chazi debarich akol kasa v'kasa. So Rabbi was making a separate bracha on every kos of yayin. Amalei lo sav ramar lahad Rabbi Shuban Levi. says, don't you hold of this position, Rabbi Shuban Levi, that Yom Tov, when you make a bracha on the wine beforehand, includes everything in the meal. Amalei nimlach ano. I wasn't thinking about that. I didn't think that we were going to have wine during the meal. And therefore, I have to make a separate bracha on each of them. Now this is important in the halacha. As Tosfo points out that when one makes a bracha on the wine for Kiddush or on the wine for Abdallah, then it would include the wine that is during the meal because this is the equivalent of Lifnei Amazon, and then it would include the wine during the meal. We'll discuss that a little more in depth in a minute about wine in the meal, but that would only be true if a person knows that they would normally bring out wine. Today in many meals, in many households, they do not drink wine during the Shabbat meal or the Yom Tov meal. That means if they made a bracha on the Kiddush wine, they would have to make a separate bracha on wine that is brought out during the meal, unless you're eating in a location or a place where they normally serve wine during the meal, and therefore you would know that, have in mind, or stam, you have in mind, that the yayin that you make a bracha on before the meal conclu- includes that which is brought during the meal. In addition, of course, if the wine is found on the table at the time that they're making kiddush, then certainly the bracha on the wine for kiddush takes care of that wine that is found on the table that will be drunk during the meal. So now, ibailuhu. Balahem yayin mazon. Someone gets wine during the meal. Can it take care of the wine that's after the meal? What's the safek here? You want to bring a proof from our Mishnah that a person made a bracha on the yayin, the appetizer wine, takes care of the dessert wine. 
The reason you drink wine before the meal is to whet the appetite, and afterwards is to satisfy, to finish off the meal. Those are both being drunk for the sake of their drinking satisfaction. The drink after the meal is to drink. When you drink during the meal, as Rashi points out, it's not normal to drink during a meal. They only drink a small amount during the meal in order to help with the digestion of the food. But all drinking was saved till after the meal. Therefore, the drinking during the meal is lishrot. It's just to soak the food, not for a drinking sense. Well, maybe it won't be included. Odilma loshnah, maybe it makes no difference. So now we have a machloket amoraim with regards to this. Rav amar patur, poter. Rav says it works. If you make a brach on the wine during the meal, it takes care of the dessert wine. Rav kanamar ino poter. Anna disagrees and says it doesn't work. Nachman amar poter. Rav Nachman agrees with Rav. Rav sheshet amar ino poter. Rav sheshet says like Rav kahana. Rav huna, Rav yehuda. Rav Rav Huna and Rav Yehuda and all the Tamidim and Rav are made Enu Poter. They agree with the position of Rav Kahana and Rav Sheshit against their Rebbe Rav. And for that reason, Tosfot says here, even though normally when we have Rav in Halacha be Isure, Halacha is like Rav, nevertheless over here, the Halacha is Ketamidim and Rav Sheshit, Kavayik Vadeu. And when it comes to Rav Nachman and Rav Sheshit, Rav Nachman Halacha is like him Bedinim, and like Rav Sheshit be Isure. And even though Rav is against them over here, Nevertheless, since all the Talmidim of Rav agree to that position of Rav Sheshet and Rav Kahana, it seems pretty clear that they had a misover from Rav that the proper, what Rav really said was, Eno Poter. And therefore we pass in the Halacha that way. So Eidvei Rav the Rav Nachman. So Rav challenged Rav Nachman's position from our Mishnah. They bring wine in the middle of the meal. Everybody makes their own bracha. After the meal, then one person can make a bracha for all of them, which will explain in the why that is. So the thinking and the questioning by Rava is that these are a single case. There's one case. They brought them wine during the meal. Each one makes their own bracha. They brought them wine for dessert. Then they eat, make one bracha for all of them. But they had wine during the middle of the meal. So you see from here that it's not poter. So I'm like, hey, hachikamar, these are two separate distinct cases. The Mishnah is just listing out cases. It's not that these are sequential events. It's, first of all, if they got wine during the meal, then each one makes their own bracha. Now, if they didn't get wine during the meal... Then, then, someone at the end of the meal will make one bracha for all of them. Not to say that because they got wine during the meal, they still have to make a bracha at the end of the meal. These are two independent cases. Tosafot points out over here that if you make a bracha on the yayin before the meal, it certainly covers the wine during the meal. And that's what we just discussed before. That even though the Gemara has a suffix here, whether wine during the meal takes care of the wine after the meal, meaning the wine during the meal doesn't take care of the dessert wine, nevertheless... The opposite is not true, because there, the wine during the meal is not like regular drinking. But on the other hand, if you have wine before the meal and the appetizer wine, then that certainly will cover the wine during the meal, because if it's lishtot, it's a full-fledged drinking of wine, that certainly will cover lishtot. In case you're not drinking it for its drinking pleasure, but rather for the soaking of the food, certainly that will be covered by the bracha beforehand. And therefore, Tosfot says that it's not a question that the bracha of yain beforehand will take care of it, and therefore, by Kiddush and Abdullah, that wine or that bracha that you make beforehand will cover that which is in the meal. Atosafot discusses the minhag that's brought down by the Ramad that the Yekis have to wash your dying beforehand and then to make the bracha layayin. He says, certainly there, it's part of the meal. And he discusses the difference between maybe Kiddush and Abdullah. But he wants to suggest that it works by both of them. But since there's a safek according to some, whether you can really wash and then make Abdullah layayin and then continue into a meal because Abdullah does not require su'udah, Therefore, he says, better not to do it, wash before you're making Havdalah. But nevertheless, he still maintains that if one makes a bracha on appetizer wine, it will cover the wine during the meal, as long as one had in mind for that. And this is what we mentioned before, with regards to 
the position of Beit Shammai, which is that Aflo Masegedira. Beit Shammai Arisha Pligi, Odil Masefi Pligi. Statement of Beit Shammai is going on the first statement or the second statement of the Mishnah. The Kamar Tanakama Barechalapat Patera to prepare it. Tanakama says if you make a bracha on the bread, it takes care of the appetizers. Certainly it'll take care of these dishes that are Mizonot. But Beit Shammai the Meimar, Beit Shammai comes along and says, Lo mi bai prepare it to Lopatra. Forget it. Doesn't cover the appetizers. Not only does it not cover the appetizers, it doesn't even cover things that you make a mizonot on. That's one possibility. Dilma. It's a safe oblique. It's on the second statement of the Mishnah. If he makes a bracha on the appetizer, it does not take care of the pot, the bread. It doesn't take care of pot. The appetizers definitely take care of the masakidera. And this is one of the proofs that Tosavot has earlier that he doesn't think Rashi's definition of the appetizers is correct, because over here you see that the Gemara is saying that it takes care of Masekidera, which is clearly a Mizonot. That even when you make a brach on the appetizers, not only does it not take care of the pot, the bread, it does not take care of the Masekidera as well. The Gemara leaves us a take, we're not sure where HMI argues. They're all sitting around. From our mission, it's pretty clear that only if you have Hesebar, they considered to be one entity. They do not lay down together on the beds or the couches to eat. That's not considered to be a meal together. Verminu, is that really true? Even though they're all sharing in a single loaf of bread, you have to make a separate bracha. If they sit down to eat together, even when each one has their own role in eating their own bread, one can make a bracha for all of them. Tani, yeshvu, this Braita is talking about the Tosefta, is talking about a case where they sat down, not a case of Heseba. Now the Braita is a different case, is where they specifically articulate that they want to eat together. So Heseba automatically makes you into a joint meal, while sitting down is not joint unless you specifically state, let us go and sit together in a specific location. After Rabbit passed away, they went to accompany him to his burial, and on the way back, on the way back, they said, let's sit down and have a meal on the banks of the river of Dank. After they sat down and broke bread, in our Mishnah, when it says Hesebo, it means literally they have to be in Mesiv in order to be joined together. But if you sat down together, it would not work. Since we said, let us all go eat together, that was sufficient. It's equivalent of having Hesebo. They didn't know the halacha. They didn't know what the halacha should be in this case. It's interesting, as Tosvel points out here, how did they make the bracha rishona? Because in our mission, it's both for bracha rishona and achrona. So over here, it sounds like they made independently birkat amotzi. So Tosvel says, maybe that's because they came at different times and they started to eat at different times, but now they want to join together afterwards. Umar says, Kam ravader ba'ava, one of the talmidim of rav, hader kare he took the rip in his beged that he had ripped over the death, over the loss of rav, he turns it to his back, and he pours a second kriya on his begate. Rav has passed away. Not only have we lost Rav, now we don't even know the halacha of Birkat Mazon. We have to tear kriya separately on the Torah that we don't know because we don't have Rav to ask anymore. came along. He questioned. He brought a steer between our Mishnah and the Brayta that we saw before. And he gave him the answer that we had seen in our Gemara before. In order to reconcile between the bright and the Mishnah, we have to say that saying to someone that let us go eat together is sufficient to create the equivalent of a unity in the meal, like a seba. And that is the halacha that we have 
that if people sit down together or say that we're going to sit down together, and that is qualifies to make them into a single unit in terms of achila. We'll get into more discussions in the seventh paragraph with regards to Birkat Amazon and Zimun as to what is considered to be Koveya Sudato together. Here you already see the beginnings of building up what it means to eat together in order to qualify to be or classified as a Zimun. Okay, we'll stop over here.